0: Coca, su narra, su narra y enti. Coca,
1: su narra y su y Coca, su narra Coca, su y su narra Coca, su y su narra
0: Hello, hi. Thank you for uh, coming to the seventh episode of the Mango TV podcast. Today, I'm very happy to have Monica. Monica is is an ICF accredited transformational and empowerment coach living between Ibiza, Barcelona and London and working with clients around the globe. Her mission is to help clients to connect to the deepest authenticity of who they are so they can intentionally design deeply fulfilling lives that are right for them. She combines psychological and coaching methodology with energetics, embodiment practices, and archetype work, influenced by her experience in the field of Tantra. She currently supports women and occasionally men through one-on-one coaching and her signature group coaching program, Stepping into Your Most Empowered Self. Welcome, Monica.
1: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: Hi. How 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 do you find Ibiza? Are you happy to be here? Do you miss London?
1: I'm very happy to be here, yes. Yeah, I do feel grateful most days. I do split my time a little bit between some cities just to get that little bit of a contrast. But it's a wonderful place to live.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, but what, what what is it, do you think, about Ibiza that attracts all this coach in the field of... Coaching, um, personal development. What is what is it? How come?
1: Yeah, it's something you mentioned to me before, and I was reflecting on it because it's a it's a really interesting question. Actually, um, I think there's something that happens when certain people start moving to a place, and then it magnetizes more of the same to come here. So there's certainly a community building here that is now magnetizing more and more of the same. But in terms of why that maybe originally happened, I think there's always been some kind of counterculture here and some kind of alternative uh, roots. so I think that's just being that manifests now in this kind of personal development field and it's these kind of people who are really drawn to living here now and I also think that when you work in this field of, of coaching personal development unlike other professions it's very much about walking the talk and so if we're talking about living our best lives we also well you'll find a lot of coaches are doing that themselves and I think Ibiza's become this mecca for um yeah just living your best life you know it's like what was the American dream is almost like now the Ibiza dream what we're looking for as humans has changed and I think Ibiza offers a lot of that in terms of the quality of life and the sense of freedom and there's always this certain magic quality as well that people talk about so I think a mixture of those things maybe is what's what 's led to that?:
0: Yes, absolutely. I agree. I think the key word is freedom. This island has attracted people that uh, are already keen into reinventing themselves and going behind the uh, conditioning, and so it 's already a natural selection of good candidate for evolutionary work. <laughs> Um, what about, uh, okay, let's start from the beginning, and um, so how would you define uh, coaching? Uh, what does it mean? Is it a one-on-one? I know you do one-on-one mostly, but uh, tell us a little bit what coaching is.
1: Another, yeah, good question again. So, coaching is really a craft. It's a learned skill and a way of holding space for another human, really. And the idea is to allow that person to explore their inner world and their desires for their life so that they can achieve their full potential. So I think, um, yes, it's usually considered to be one-on-one, but I think more and more so we're seeing group programs and I definitely think it's possible to happen in a group space as well.
0: So so how how is that different than therapy?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that coaching is actually come, for, it's kind of developed out of psychotherapy, which then progressed into counseling, which then progressed into coaching. So there is definitely roots there. It's still a talking therapy. I think a fundamental difference, there's a few, but I think with therapy, there's quite a deep focus on the past to bring about healing in the present. And while coaching does go into the past, there's much more of a focus on the future and future um, momentum and movement and progression. I also think with therapy, there's, there's this sense of and I don't want to completely generalise, but there, there seems to be a sense of the client being somewhat broken and something needing to be fixed. There's kind of this movement from there's, there's some kind of dysfunction that's been highlighted and it's getting to a functioning place. So there's there's a couple of things with that as well. And, and one is with coaching, there, we, we buy into this idea that our clients aren't broken that they're whole and they're resourceful and the coach is no higher than the client. It's just a process that we work with them through. So that is slightly different. We're always like tapping into the potential and the inner wisdom that's already in the client. And I wanted to say another thing on that. Yeah, from the dysfunction to functioning, I think with coaching, rather than getting someone to a place of functioning, maybe that's where therapy is needed if there is kind of deep dysfunction or problems and really moving through life in a healthy way. Coaching kind of comes in in that moment where you're functioning, but you want to completely thrive. You want to excel. You don't want to have an ordinary life. You want to have an extraordinary life. And I think as we're progressing as a species in consciousness and in what is motivating us and driving us, there's more and more need for coaching now. People want to really thrive. They don't want to just survive. They want to self-actualize. They want to experience themselves in their fullest potential. And I think that's where therapy doesn't go to that level but where coaching can then come in and almost take over and take someone to that next level
0: so what are the typical obstacles that you've been seeing in your career that prevent people to express their full potential mm.
1: yeah a lot of it this is where it does really tie into psychology and we do draw upon a lot of the same knowledge and concepts um, so a lot of that is really the subconscious mind and limiting beliefs and norms and beliefs that we've inherited that limit us so a lot of the work in coaching is in shining awareness on that being aware of it because the whole thing with the subconscious mind and beliefs is we're not aware of it so it's making the unconscious conscious seeing that and then being able to choose differently and open up the possibilities for ourselves so that's a really big part of it is just there's so much unraveling it's unraveling of conditioning, unraveling of beliefs that we formed in childhood or even later in life so that we can take back our power and really choose where we want to go with our lives rather than being subservient to beliefs that are running in the background that we haven't even been aware of.
0: So, so what what is the typical situation where in childhood you have very parents that maybe didn't reinforce you positively or put you down and so you internalize this idea that you're not worthy and that would limit you in terms of taking responsibility and taking risk and 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 this vulnerability that you feel prevents from throw yourself into the mix and realize
1: your dream yeah exactly and we th- we create beliefs about everything really so whether it's yeah whether it's kind of a negative relationship in childhood that really damaged your sense of self but it might be even things like just what you witnessed said around you about money or about body image that you then inherit and you take that we take that as the norm and it then puts limits on what we will and won't do in our lives and the real empowering moment is when we can see through like neuroplasticity that we can actually change what we believe we can actually reprogram that and that has such a impact on our lives and where we can actually go with our lives.
0: So which tool do you use to allow your clients to see to what extent their belief are just inherited cultural or childhood conditioning, rather than reality?
1: What I love working with is um, looking at different personas or voices within us. So it's often it's just starting to bring awareness to that and separate out these different voices. And we've often got a voice running like an inner critic or these beliefs that come up. They show up as certain thoughts that like you can't do that when we're deeply triggered and we go back to like wounded parts of ourselves. So I help clients to personify these parts of ourselves. Like we call it the rebel mind or like we, we even like look look at what it might look like so that we know what that feels and sounds like. And then where it's quite different maybe to therapy is we also work on tuning into a different voice to a higher wisdom. And this for many aligns with intuition. And for some people this is stronger and for some people it's newer to connect to this but we do all have it. So we're giving an alternative to that as well. So it's a really powerful tool to start tuning into these different voices and I work with clients to get really clear in this connection with this higher wisdom, wherever that's coming from. And I also work with a very powerful tool, which is what I call your most empowered self. And it's tuning into this higher version of you and getting a really, really clear picture and strong connection to that part of you. And also intentionally designing what this part of you is and what the future version of you is So you can start to lean into that, because if we don't have this alternative, then we're kind of being run by these other voices and these other beliefs. And while we can try and undo them, what's more powerful is creating a new voice, creating an alternative picture, and starting to cultivate that and lean into that. So that's one of the most powerful tools is this um, persona of your most empowered self, which is both like your higher wisdom and intentionally a picture of your future self that you have decided consciously you want to step into, and it's super super powerful to do that.
0: Yes, and the uh, and the opposite of the of this persona would be the limiting persona, which Eckhart Tolle would call the pain bodies, which is this childhood uh, limiting belief that get personified in in your ma- in your mind. With with this critical voice that Eckhart Tolle calls the bad roommate in 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 your head, yeah. um, so I know I know you don't have much experience with psychedelic, but I just wanted to add one thing here because we now know from this um, functioning magnetic resonance imagery, um, like 20 30 years ago they they invented these machines where you can see in real time what's happening in the brain when you take salosabine or DMT or um, San Pedro, mescaline, the family of the treptamines, basically they found out, the neuropsychopharmacologist, this um, default mode network, which is a network that combines three hub in the brain, the prefrontal cortex, the median cortex and the thalamus I think, and the neuroscientist says that this default mode network is the closest thing to the egoic armor and with this substance they reduce the blood supply to this network and so michael Polan on his book i always say that on my podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) michael Polan on his book uh, compared the full mode network to the director of the orchestra of your brain Mm -hmm. so with this substance the director sort of like goes to bed so for the first time different part of the brain can now operate independently and that's how you can see to what extent some of your belief were just conditioning from that director and now that it's not there you can physically viscerally experience who you really are without this conditioning and that's very empowering and uh, I know in Ibiza there is a lot of um, you know psychedelic coach and also there is a practice of microdosing of, of salosabin, which is you know you take just enough before you feel it. so it's subperception, but I've done that and and it is true that it subdued the inner creating the voice in your head. Mm-hmm. So I recommend all the coach to maybe get a little help. um I mean it's not it's not legal in Spain, so <laughs> we have to be careful so yes, this is super interesting. Uh, what about um do you have any experience with meditation because also meditation would allow to calm your mind and allow you to ch- you know, to, to quiet the chatter in your brain, a little bit like psychedelics. So d- do you integrate meditation in, on your coaching?
1: Yes, I do actually. So I start every session with a little meditation just to do exactly what you've said, to let go of the busyness in the mind, anything that's already happened in the day and to really drop into the space. So definitely they, they definitely complements coaching very well because as you said it's helps to quiet down all the other voices and chatter, and, and and connect into this really authentic place which we've been talking about
0: it's incredible how it seems like our brain is designed to you know to sabotage us but where where's that coming from is it the the flight of fight from evolutionary how, how it seems like so counterintuitive that we're designed to worry so much
1: yeah yeah, it's super interesting. It seems that, I mean, I've studied this a little bit, but obviously there's there's a wealth of knowledge I won't know in terms of neuroscience, but it seems that we've got parts of our brain which are still prehistoric and still wired to you know past situations which we've evolved past but it's like our brains haven't evolved but then we have this higher consciousness we have these other parts of our brain and I forget the statistic that we only access like such a small percentage of our brains and I think what we're moving into now is like even with psychedelics like you've said or other there are other kind of portals into that as well is accessing this higher consciousness within within us and I think what I kind of guide my clients through at the moment what's happening is both parts exist, and we can't seem to yet, certainly not, I haven't tried the psychedelics, but maybe that helps, but we haven't seemed to yet be able to eradicate this reptilian brain, this kind of prehistoric wired brain, which like you said, it seems to sabotage us because it doesn't want us to move out of our comfort zone. Um, But what we can do is be aware of it, and we can consciously choose to lean into more these kind of higher consciousness parts of our brain, of our wisdom and utilize that. So that's what I really lead clients through is to be aware of like what's coming up when and just that conscious choice of where you want to be operating in. But yes, it does seem like there are parts of our brain that want to sabotage us. But I also always say like looking at that with love, like it it is trying to protect us in some way. And that always helps more that acceptance and love than trying to really push something away and being really afraid of it or shaming it. So I think it's part of the human condition. We're, we're so contradictory and we've got these paradoxes so
0: yes that's very well said it's not the feeling of maybe feeling anxiety or inadequate is 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 more how you just accept it mm. what is seems to be damaging is the reaction to the feeling than the feeling itself
1: yeah 100 percent. or the or the shame like when shame comes up it's such a destructive emotion so um, and this is what leads into kind of where I bring where Tantra has really influenced me because it's this acceptance and welcoming of everything rather than pushing away or shaming like once we can accept all parts of ourselves as humans, all these things that come up it's so liberati- liberating and, and really empowering also yeah,
0: C- can, can you elaborate a little bit on that so you did, um, uh, you went to a Tantra festival mm-hmm. and uh, how did that in- affect your life view?
1: Yeah, I went through a period of like intense personal development myself and one thing I started exploring was Tantra. I did go to one kind of five-day experience which which had a really deep impact on my life. But I'd also started going to Burning Man and being involved in that culture. So all of this together had a really deep impact on my life. And I think what it what it did was, you know, there's this saying like the fish doesn't know it's swimming in water because it's all that it knows. And I think it's like that with our conditioning and we're just living in this conditioned world thinking that that's just the way it is and then you can have these experiences like I did with Tantra, exploring a completely different view of of yourself and how you can experience yourself or Burning Man, like this complete counterculture where you suddenly see it makes this invisible conditioning visible and you can start to question it. So it really just kind of opened up my mind to questioning all my beliefs around sexuality, all my beliefs around Um, you know what emotions are good and bad what's acceptable what isn't acceptable Um, you know where I felt shame about some things and and where's that come from why do I shame certain things where's that where have I inherited that from so it just really opened up this huge inquiry and this um, opening of possibilities of how I can view myself and experience myself and experience the world.
0: But so I'd l- I'd love to push a little bit onto the specifics on um, on both on both Burning Man and and Tantra. Mm-hmm.
1: What what in which
0: way what what specifically um, affected you of these two experiences?
1: Well, okay. I think with with Tantra, what's so different about Tantra to other religions and spiritual movements is that I think it's the only one that I know of where sexuality is embraced rather than shamed or made bad or made um, dangerous. So that in itself, although you may not think that you've inherited those views, once you dig into that on some level you have, you've pushed away certain desires, you've, um, you know, we had this wild nature within us and we've been, We've been told in so many ways that that's not right and that's bad and we need to be a certain way. Or even like at Burning Man, we, we've we inherited this norm that you have to wear clothes, right? And it sounds funny, but it's like, where did we learn that from? And in Burning Man, that's just completely turned on its head. You wear clothes or you don't wear clothes. So it it's, yeah, I guess, especially around body and what's okay and what isn't okay and sexuality, because I think that's where we've been shamed and conditioned the most um both tantra and burning man blows that apart um, or blew that apart for me and i think once you can start to question your conditioning around that you can see how you've been conditioned in all these other ways as well
0: so that specifically comes from the judeo christian morality mm-hmm. on you know this idea that um, uh, sexuality is something you know almost dirty all this you know sex negative culture that we inherited from religion i think Mm -hmm. yeah this is super interesting um and and also personally from tantra my main takeaway of a couple of retreats i did with my wife is that um sexuality can also be something you do of for being on service it's not something you take necessarily um which i think i think was an interesting way to to look at to look at this energy um and it's true, you know. Mar- Margot Anand, this uh, French tantra teacher, used to say that all this philosophy and religion will tell you not to look below the, below the waist mm-hmm. because it's dangerous. And and this is finally uh, a tradition which is five thousand years from India, from the Veda, and four thousand years from China, from Lao Tzu, that actually incorporate this energy in a in a philosophy of of, of longevity and well being. And, um, yeah, it should be taught in school, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent, and you say, like, you know, from the waist down, but I think in Western society, we've almost been cut off from the neck down. <laughs> we've kind of like championed psychology in the mind, and the other thing that i've I really learned through Tantra was this um respect and honoring for the body, how much wisdom is in our body, what a magnificent tool it is for for divine union, for learning, for reaching higher realms. So, kind of re-re-embracing the body as well, and everything that we can learn from the body.
0: So, I, I discover you, so to speak, through through Zoran, who's um, uh, calling himself an evolutionary coach. Mm-hmm. So, do you do you do you subscribe to this idea of being an evolutionary coach? I'd
1: love I'd love to know a bit more that you know, what that definition means for you. So, this idea of evolution
0: is is not just for me, you know, be able to know bypass and transcend your limiting belief into your full potential but this idea of um, almost paradigm shift um s- this idea of um evolution like almost like in a darwinian sense where you change not only your belief but your really your modus operandi in society from uh, a paradigm of fear into a paradigm of of, of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk in, in, in you know, since, since the 60s, the, you know, Western astrology has been talking about the age of Aquarius, mm-hmm. and the Mayan has the end of the Mayan calendar, and in Indian astrology there is the different Kala Yugas, and different indigenous prophecies like the Hopi or the Kogi, they all at this moment in time as a tipping point in consciousness where there is a, some sort of mass awakening. Mm-hmm. So that's, for me, uh, when I think about evolution, I think about the next stage, stage of human evolution is, um, is a stage of, of, of acceptance, of collaboration, of, of, it sounds a bit corny, but of love instead of fear do you subscribe to this term? Do you call yourself an evolutionary coach or not really? <laughs> I
1: don't call myself an evolutionary coach, but I really resonate with the um, the ideas you're explaining for sure. I do think we're moving into a different paradigm, into a different time, um, away from more kind of masculine-coded structures to more feminine-coded structures, collaboration, cyclical um, community, yeah, love over fear. I definitely think that movement is happening. I guess my work as I see it is working with individuals and with each individual shift, there is then a collective shift. So while I haven't used that term, I can see how the work I do and the work we're doing on individual levels, all together those drops fall, form the ocean of, of this big shift that I certainly feel is happening. And um, I definitely think you can feel that here in Ibiza where you get a collective of people in this kind of higher energy or working towards this diff- this new paradigm.
0: Yes C- can you elaborate a little bit you mentioned the masculine versus the feminine can you elaborate a little bit on uh, on this distinction and to what extent you incorporate that into your work
1: Yeah it's it's um it's a framework I really love using again it's something I came across in tantra but I think it's a framework that can be applied to almost everything And when i say masculine and feminine it's more kind of in the sense of yin and yang that we can look at the world and different characteristics different structures to be more masculine or feminine masculine being more structured maybe more individualistic more about forward movement while the feminine being more cyclical more about collaboration more emotion-led more intuition-led so it's not actually to do with men and women it's uh it's um it's a set of kind of traits or values I guess and we've just been living in a time where the kind of masculine values of achievement and focus on the individual and linear structure has been really championed and that's starting to shift now we're starting to re-embrace the feminine and by that I mean other ways, different ways, collaboration, tuning into emotion and love and it, it's it's that paradigm shift from one to the other yeah. not power over but power together Do you do couple coaching? I've actually no I've never worked with couples and I don't specifically tend to work on relationships but it's a super super interesting area it's definitely one I've been super interested in myself but at the moment I just do um, one-to-one coaching but also group coaching with a number of women, so up to like ten women in one group.
0: And do do relationship dynamics come out in terms of in limiting belief? Do, is there material you 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 have to deal with to allow for your clients to thrive?
1: In what sense do you do you mean? I'm I'm, I'm
0: trying to 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 have a sense if you deal with with couple material, mm. you know, do do they. Do you have some of your clients that feel limited by their spouse or their or their marriage?
1: In all honesty, it's not what comes to me the most because most, most of the time with those issues, someone would seek a relationship coach specifically. But certainly, I think for all of us, it's like one of the main things that comes up. Like our, our happiness is so much linked to our relationships. So normally when I work with people, it's always a reflection of what's going on internally. Like, what does that mean for you? Like, if someone's, if you're not happy in a relationship or somebody's triggering you, what is that bringing up for you? It's always coming back to the self and where we can learn from that. What awareness is that bringing through? So more so than working on the relationship itself, it's looking internally and reflecting on if something's not working, something's upsetting you, what does that mean for you? Is it a a question of boundaries? Is it a question of... You're not actually truly aligned to your partner. That that you're seeking something different. Is it a question of valuing yourself more? Those kind of themes that come up, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm.
0: Because um, you know, in America, there is a big movement now. It's very popular now called CNM, which is mm-hmm. consensual non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think? Do you have a? Uh, even now, we're going a little bit out of the strictly coaching. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what,
0: what what's your personal opinion on um, on non-monogamy?
1: Yeah, it's such an, such an interesting area. I think what we're moving into, which links to what we've been talking about, like the shift to a new paradigm, is no longer accepting norms that are enforced upon us, but finding our own truth. And I think that applies to relational structures also. So I think that we've kind of been fed this idea of monogamy being the only way and now people are really starting to explore. Well, people have always explored other ways, but there is a kind of new age movement to explore other ways. And I think it's really about, it comes back to all the work I do, which is tuning, getting to know your truest self and finding what works for you. And I think with consensual non-monogamy, if that structure is what is true for both people, then that's wonderful. It's just that there's more people at play to make sure that it, it works and is true for everybody involved but i think it is that we're just moving out of a time of being told one way's good another way's bad and just exploring all options and exploring what is right for us yeah
0: yeah we had a couple of professors in the podcast and um, they both talk about a depolarization between monogamy and non-monogamy specifically they say that um, you know like in the in the in the um, gender fluid m- movement mm-hmm. People don't really identify so clearly about being male or female. Um, what they've seen, in which they welcome, they think is very healthy, is this, you know, specifically Jorge Ferrer says that between monogamy and non-monogamy, there is a third way, which is novogamy, which is this idea that, you know, sometimes you're monogamous in certain time moment of your life, and sometimes you're not. Mm-hmm. And by depolarizing it, you sort of like take all this charge off because mm-hmm. for all the reason we discussed it, the this, the discussion is so charged the mm-hmm. you know the monogamous people they call the non-monogamous like you know Sex addict and and i kept up, you know, um, unable to f- focus on one and juvenile and sli- and, and and you know, whereas like the the non-monogamous tell the models that they're boring and 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 scared about embracing the jealousy and it's very charged. Mm-hmm. I think that you know this idea of, of of being novogamous would would then allow a more calm and detached uh, uh, analysis of the of the phenomenon Um, one word that caught my attention from your biography is um, the word archetypal can can you elaborate a little bit on um, how you use archetypal material
1: Yeah, so this is something I also came across um, in my work in Tantra. But this is exploring different archetypal energies that are within us. So this, is, this links back to the work of Carl Jung. He identified certain archetypes that exist within this, the collective psyche. But how I really use this, like day to day, is that we have access to very different contradictory parts of ourselves. And I work a lot, especially with women, on this but it's only some of them that have been normalised and accepted so for example one archetype is the mother we're really familiar with this archetype like we see that's how kind of women are positioned in movies to be or the maiden archetypes like the young innocent woman but there's also like an, an energy within us of a wild woman or there's the energy of like a deeply sensual woman and in media and in movies for example the the lover archetype has often been a little bit demonized she's often like a little bit dangerous and the wild woman we never really see like this has been so repressed in our cultures so the reason I work with archetypes is to bring awareness to these different energies that we all have access to so that we can see where we're completely out of touch with some of them so that it really for me is about re-embracing every part of yourself. This is what I, I use this phrase so much. Like expanding, welcoming more. This is so much the themes that I work with. So allowing ourselves to experience ourselves in all of our free, wild, various ways, rather than this tiny slither of of experience that we've been allowed to Experience.
0: Because they've been, some of them have been repressed.
1: Exactly, or um, made shameful. Like to be really wild, and as a woman, especially, to not be, you know, pretty and nice and say the right things and look nice is, it, it, we've been taught that's not acceptable. To be really fully wild or even grotesque or angry, even just to show anger, it's something that we've been shown in many different subtle ways that isn't okay. And so it's, reconnecting to that and allowing ourselves who gets to decide who we can be we are actually wild and free at at our core so it's such powerful work it's really really liberating work when there's this aha moment when you realize I've been completely disconnected to that part of myself but when you re-feel it in some way that you have some experience where you're like oh that's this really wild part of me or that's this really sexual central part of me so re-embracing all of these parts so that we can be fully integrated
0: because what what really blocks them is shame exactly and 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 so and so how how what is the antidote to shame
1: love yeah acceptance i think i think it's yeah self-love for me is it's not loving the parts of ourselves that are pretty and perfect it's looking at ourselves really in all of our colors and all of the light and realizing that that is beautiful yeah. like with our shadow with our certain desires that might be strange, with our all our emotions that we feel anger sometimes that we even have the ability to like hurt another human like this is part of our human experience self-love for me is in seeing all of that and accepting the full myriad of experience of being a human rather than just taking parts of it and making other parts not okay
0: yeah yeah there is this uh, clinical psychologist called Brené Brown who says that um, the antidote to shame is Embracing your vulnerability, right? By it's 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 only by feeling comfortable with your vulnerability that you would then throw yourself in the mix and take risk and grow. Very interesting. So we've been together for forty minutes. Do you think? Um, what would you say? I know you can't say any name, but if you had to pick um, one of your client, what's the most positive best outcome you can share with us in terms of someone that came to you with lots of limiting belief and pessimistic about life and then you create your magic and and you send them away as a superwoman
1: I can think of a couple of examples um one was actually very much based around sexuality even though I'm not a sexuality coach but I did have a client come to me who had an awful lot of shame around that area and therefore some problems with her partner. So interesting, you've reminded me of this because when you asked me that question earlier, I didn't. it didn't come to mind. Um, but she really then re-embraced this part of herself and now completely flourishes in it. So she's actually like really delving into experiencing herself sexually with her husband and having deeper intimacy. And she said to me that I helped her to uncover a part of herself that she hadn't known before. So that for me is such a beautiful thing. That really is like one of my main aims. If I can help people to do that, then I'm feeling very happy. And in another, just to give like another different example outside of that, I also have many clients actually that come to me kind of living um, a status quo life, but they have this feeling like it's just not quite right for them, they're not fulfilled and there's often some kind of like not quite shame but some there's a yearning for something different but then something that comes in that says oh I shouldn't be desiring that like just stick to nobody else wants that and why be different um, so at the end of working with one client in particular she's completely embraced like what her vision is what her unique vision for her life is and is now creating a life that works for her which is around living in two or three different locations having a home business um, living a really kind of global and free lifestyle, while before she felt like she really had to live in this small town she was from, that's what everybody else did, they're all happy with that, why aren't I happy with that? She did actually feel a lot of shame that she wasn't fulfilled with that. And now I see her forging this life for herself that really is the life that's gonna deeply fulfill her. So it's really, really beautiful to see when that happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. The first story you shared about the sexual empowerment Remind me. I was recently in New York, and a friend of mine wrote a book on on how good hookups can be with you. It's called "Hookup Without Heartbreak," and uh, and and you know there was a debate at the end, and um someone was suggesting that you know in our culture, especially in America, mm-hmm. it's very puritan, and we don't believe that pleasure is therapeutic, mm-hmm. and uh, but actually it is, mm-hmm. right? Okay, great. So um, is there anything else that um, we didn't cover that you want to share
1: with our listeners? Uh, The only thing is I think we were just talking before about whether like what can happen in a group environment that might be different to one to one Mm -hmm. with with like personal development and coaching. So I guess on that I would just share that again. It almost almost like links to this this shift in paradigm. There's really powerful things that can happen one to one. But as I've been working with women in groups, there's something really really amazing that happens in us witnessing each other, not just one on one, but people witnessing each other in their experience, in their limiting beliefs, in their vulnerability, being seen and witnessed and supported when they're showing their most authentic selves. And it's something that I'm currently I'm currently midway through. Um, a group program that i work with called stepping into your most empowered self and i really see how powerful that is for that to happen in more of a group community container than one-to-one so yeah this is really really beautiful work as well that that i wanted to touch upon. Yeah, be-
0: because you know people mirror each other and 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 you recognize pattern and behavior in someone else and allow you to just accelerate the the acknowledgement and the uncovering of the blind spots.
1: There is that, but I think there's also something in the whole um, discussion around shame and I think when we see others the women I'm working with at the moment are so beautifully sharing like these parts of their, their beliefs that they're so that they're not worthy, that they're not skinny enough, that they're not intelligent enough and the shame they feel around that and there's something so liberating in sharing that and being seen and heard and then also for the other women to see that and 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 not share that shame in that they see the beauty in this other person. And so they can see how when they shame themselves, it's just themselves doing that as well. If that makes sense. like They they can see other women that they really look up to feeling these same things. And it almost makes it, it shows how kind of ridiculous it is in a way. So it's super empowering to see that in other people. Um, And it really helps to reframe these feelings we have and put them in their place a little bit
0: beautiful beautiful yes very well said thank you very much for your work is very important you know th- the joke we've been coming to ibiza for many many years and the joke was that there were always two type of people those that worked very well in the past and then stopped to work completely and those that never worked <laughs> but now i feel there is a third category of people that are seniors pro- serious professional that are making you know a living in, in ibiza bringing you know skills and competence like you And so we are very grateful for you to be here. And how can people find you? (laughs) If they want to do some coaching with you or just follow you on social media. Yeah,
1: thank you. Um, The best thing at the moment is to follow me on Instagram and it's um, Monica with a K dot Amy, A-I-M-I-E is my Instagram handle. And I also run this group program that I've mentioned a couple of times a year. And um, so that's stepping into your most empowered self. And there's a website for that, which is yourmostempoweredself.com.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time and looking forward to have you in a few months and see how everything is evolving for you.
1: Thank you so much, it's been a pleasure. <laughs>